And so, Father, we just thank you that you have given us the privilege of praying for these people. And I pray, Father, for us who are on this prayer chain, that as we see these things come across the prayer chain, that we would be found faithful, Lord, and ministering to your saints, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing before we get started. Jonathan Turin, if you want to come up here. Jonathan is going away for nine months, and Sean wants to offer prayers of thanks. Nine weeks, not nine months. <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead and come on up. Jonathan is going away to a uh, basic training, I don't know, camp, and uh, it's to prepare him, to disciple him, but also prepare him for the things that the Lord has for him in the future. And he will be away for nine weeks, and so I just wanted to lift him up in prayer and just pray that the Lord would go before him. Let's pray. Father, I lift up this man, and I just pray, Father, as he's going forth and what you have called him to do, and who you have called him to be. I pray, Father, that you would continue the refining process of his life. I thank you for the faithfulness of his parents, Lord, and the work that you have achieved through them. And then, Lord, we all do it. We pass that along, the the elements of discipleship even to others. And so, Father, I pray for what Jonathan is entering into, that you would bless him, and that, Father, he in turn would be a blessing, that you would use him. And, Father, use it not only just in the next nine weeks, but, Father, even for the remainder of his life. I pray for the lives that you desire to touch through him, that you would fill him with your spirit, Father, and that you would enable him in all that you have for him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonathan, for the most part, has been raised in our church, and I can remember when he was a baby, and Sean, well, you know, one, two-year-old, whatever, and Sean would put him in the class, and man, he would scream. Don't be screaming from Texas. That's not going to, it's not going to fly from there. <laughs> Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 10. I'm going to start reading at verse 10. I'll read down to verse 16. We'll be going to verse 21. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Father, we thank you that you have brought us into that flock, that we have heard your voice, Lord, and we have followed you out of the world and into your glorious, this glorious life, Lord, that you have given us. And so, Father, once again, as we look at your word, I pray that you would remind us of these things and use us for your things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, in verses 1 through 9, we have looked at two different sheepfolds. The first one is found in verses 1 through 6. That would be the sheepfold that is found in the city, as a shepherd would be relocating his sheep, if you will. If he's be passing through town, there would be one sheepfold, and he would lead his sheep into that sheepfold, and there would be many other shepherds' sheep that were in there as well. And we saw when it came time to gather the sheep to himself, he would go in there, he would call them by name, they would hear the sound of his voice, 
and they would follow him, and that sheep would not follow a shepherd who are not theirs. And the theme there is the shepherd going in and leading his sheep out. The fold would be Israel. In verses 7 through 9, we saw the type of fold found out in the field. And the theme there is, is of the shepherd leading his sheep in. As he leads his sheep into that place, it's the place of protection. It's the place, although you're out in the wilderness and there's much damage and harm that can happen out there, there is the good shepherd who keeps watch over his sheep. It's it's bringing his sheep into the Christian life where the sheep are saved, where they are safe, and where they are content. This concept of the good shepherd and the sheep was presented about 700 years before the coming of Christ Even in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 11, it says, speaking of Messiah, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And so Jesus now tells us in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Again, we need to look at verse 10 here, really all of chapter 10, in the light of chapter 9, of what had transpired by that blind man who Jesus had touched and the controversy that had sparked with the self-righteous of the day. The blind man was blind and did not have a very abundant life, as you can well imagine. And we even saw the hardship that he had and that he was led into the temple area And the only means he had for providing for himself was to beg there. And then there were the thieves, the thieves, the religious leaders, the self-righteous. They were spiritually stealing and killing. First of all, they told this man that he was blind, and even the apostles believed it, that he was blind because somebody sinned. And I experienced the same thing in my spiritual life, at least leading up to my Christianity. This was pre-Christianity maybe I should say in my religious life, that God is mad. God is mad and God is quick to punish. They never told me about the love of God and the desires that God had for me. Also, there was the fact that this man needed to beg shows us that the thief does not care for the sheep. The thief is more interested of what he can get from the sheep rather than what he is able to do for the sheep. We see this in a lot of charlatans who present themselves as good shepherds in actuality, are feeding off of the sheep. And then at the very end, at least at the very end of chapter 9, their ultimate solution was to attempt to cast them out of the fold and into certain spiritual death. And we saw that in chapter 9, verse 34. It says, they answered, the religious answered and said to him, the formerly blind men, you are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Now, again, we've got to consider what they were casting him out of. They were casting him out of the temple. This man, the only thing that he knew was is that he had to have the temple to be right with God. The temple was the place of worship. If, If I'm cast out of the place of worship, then there's no way I can worship the Lord. And also, the temple was the only place that the sacrifice could be offered. If he's unable to offer the sacrifice, then his sins will never be able to be covered and And again, he does not have right standing with God. And so these men, these Sadducees and Pharisees who have been given a great responsibility are now using it for their benefit. And what's happening? It's to the detriment of the sheep. Well, Jesus says, 
I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus gives us the reason for the good shepherd coming and the reason for the good shepherd is that we may have abundant life, life that is beyond our imagination. Psalm 23, verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Hasn't God done more for you than you really deserve? I mean, just looking at salvation. I was kind of thinking about this today. I was reading something earlier about an atheist, and he's presenting certain of his proofs of, uh, of why God does not exist. And I'm just thinking, there's no way. Now, I know in the flesh, and we can all be weak in the flesh and, and whatnot, and I'm not boasting in the flesh, but uh, there's no way that somebody can convince me that there's no God. I mean, just looking at my life and the abundance of work and blessings that God has done in my life, there's no way. And I don't believe that I'm any more blessed than you are, but we have to take that time to look and to examine the blessings of our lives. I mean, do you really take time to do that? And I can look back and see, look at this wife that I, well, I used to have her. She left me the other day. She went up to visit her mother. She'll be coming back. But look at this wife that God has given me. I was looking at her face the other day because we're only able to FaceTime right now. So on my iPad, boom, there's her face right there. And just think, what a blessing it is. You know, how God has, has blessed. And, and, and just look how God had done that. I was working here in the city of Orange at J.C. Penney's and the Sporting Goods and Hardware. He brought her all the way from Oklahoma to that J.C. Penney's. And that's how we met. And I'm just thinking, that's just God. And, and I look at the, just, just how God has provided for us, the children that he's given us. And, and my grandkids, or not my grandkids, but my daughters feel sorry for me because they think I'm going to starve to death. So they keep coming by and bringing me food or something. And Jamie, who is down here before she's going to be heading up to be with her husband up in Washington, stayed with me last night and this morning. Um, you know, she has her daughter, Malachi. Malachi is, I don't remember, she's oh, just over a year. She's about a year and a couple of weeks. And um, just have her smile in that. You just have one of your grandchildren smile at you. If you're not that old, just have a child to smile at you. And, and so I was holding her and I was playing with her and I sat her next to me and she was eating a banana and I was eating my broccoli and sausage for breakfast and um, gave her a little bit of broccoli and she actually liked it. Actually, I like broccoli too. So, my granddaughter. And, and just enjoying her. And again, you know what all that means. And so, I was holding her, and I was filling up water that I was bringing to church, and she wanted a drink of it, and just all those kinds of things. And then, got everything packed, and I'm holding her, and got all ready to go. And I told her, okay, Jamie, I got to go. And there's your mom. I gave it to her mom, and she started crying because she wanted Papa. Yes, that's what I thought, too. Just a good thing. And I'm just thinking, you know what? This, all this stuff and all how God has provided for us and I can just speak of me because I've experienced it. You should be able to come up and give testimony as well. It just lends towards the reality of God in my life. It just shows me that. And I see how God has abundantly blessed me. Now, speaking of what an abundant life is, and you're going to have to make it applicable to your life, I'll tell you what an abundant life is not. Because in religious circles, this has been misrepresented. Abundant Christian life is not personal wealth or riches. There are plenty of poor, godly people. Amen? 
We should be able to relate. Some of us should be able to relate to that. And, and because you're poor, because you're not as financially well off as some people, that doesn't make you godly as well. God gives as he decides and he takes as he decides. Again, it, it's all up to the Lord, but as far as your bank account has absolutely nothing to do with your account up in heaven. The abundant Christian life is not about long life. Compare heaven and earth, and really, where's the greatest blessing? The Apostle Paul realized that, that it was better to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, although God had plans for him in this earth at that time. But again, for somebody to leave this life earlier doesn't mean that they're any more or less blessed than anybody else, although just the closest relative that I have of mine is my father that is with the Lord. And there was, not that I, God has given us a sanctity of life and this desire to life, and I don't want to leave this life right now, but there's a little tinge of jealousy that he's in the presence of Jesus. We have Jane. Jane, I don't remember Jane's last name off the top of my head, but Jane was the first representative of Calvary Chapel, Ontario, to enter the kingdom of heaven, literally. She's the first person of our church who had passed on, and so she's in the presence of the Lord. You look at the apostles James and the apostle John. Was John holier than his brother? James was the first apostle to go. John was the last apostle to go. God had plans for both of their lives. There was Stephen, the first martyr, and there was the Apostle Paul. Was one more godly than the other? No, the Lord used them in most amazing ways. The abundant Christian life, thirdly, is not about physical healthy life. I know godly people that get sick. We just prayed for quite a few of them. They get diseased, injured, and maybe even become crippled or whatever it might be. Those things are reality in this fallen world. There's godly people in this fallen world that because it's a fallen world, some of those issues, situations, and circumstances are going to affect the godly. God's got a plan. God is working all things to the good, but the thing you need to see about that is God is doing the work. The abundant Christian life is not about the sheep skipping down the road of life hoof and hoof. The abundant Christian life is God entering into the hardships of our life. What it is, is it's contentment in the midst of poverty, contentment in the midst of death, contentment in the midst of health, or lack of health. It's calm times in the midst of hard times. And once again, my God moves in my life in so many different areas, in the good times and in the hard times. Keep that in mind, proper perspective. We have good times but we do not have bad times because all things are working together for the good. But there are definitely hard times and undesirable times without a doubt. But God's doing a work in the midst of all. But where do you want your contentment? Well, the good times kind of got contentment already built into them. The hard times, if I can find contentment there, then I'll do well in this life. I'll keep things in a proper perspective. Philippians 4, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I mean, think about that. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding. That's how we're able to have that proper perspective during hardship as God gives us a peace in the midst of hard times that surpasses understanding. And he says, that will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're all going to face hardship 
but God's going to guard your heart and your mind that it will not throw you into despair. Everybody in this room is going to personally die at some point, barring the rapture. God's going to guard your heart and your mind. And again, the good shepherd does this work because his intent is to care for the sheep. Doesn't mean you're going to have the nicest pen around. Doesn't mean that you're always going to have the best feed but he is going to guard you and watch over you, protect you, and he is going to care for you. Abundant life, abundant life is life as we have never had it before. Abundant life, it encompasses life at birth, it encompasses life at rebirth or salvation, and most of all, it encompasses life at the point of death. Although we die, yet we will live because he died and he lives. Remember, the good shepherd, what does he do? He leads the sheep. He leads us in this life, but most importantly, he's led us into death and then out of death into new life. We have this good shepherd. That good doesn't even begin to describe it. This being the case, again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, in contrast to the the thief, the thief is a murderer and a killer. But this is the one who will give his life for the sheep. Jesus gives abundant life because he is the good shepherd. Now, when he says the good shepherd, he is the personification of the perfect shepherd. Of the tender of the sheep, if you want to know the perfection, he is the example of perfection. It's why we study the scriptures. We look at the life of Christ. As we see the life of Christ, we see the standard that was set for us. Jesus, as he was baptized, had the Holy Spirit as a dove alighted upon him. We understand before the work of ministry, we too must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus suffered many trials and hardships. We know that we'll suffer many trials and hardships. Jesus came to deliver the word. We are to go and to deliver the word. Again, we see so many examples of Christ that, well, we see fulfilled in our lives as well. And so the idea here is is that Jesus set the example. This statement is also an exclusive one. When he says, I am the good shepherd, the idea behind it is, I am the one and the only good shepherd. There's been many people who have presented themselves as good shepherds, but they have been found to be false. Jesus will later say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And what he is saying there is, I am the one and only way. I am the one and only truth. I am the one and only light. And here he's saying, I am the one and the only good shepherd. Now there's three times in the scriptures that Jesus is represented as a shepherd with the adjective dictating the aspect of the shepherd's ministry. We see it in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21, when he is called the great shepherd. It speaks of rank. It speaks of him being the greatest of all shepherds. Because again, there's many shepherds, and some of those shepherds are just hirelings. Some of them, as we'll see, are under shepherds. But Jesus is the great shepherd. The context, the context is pretty much what I was just saying. The context is the resurrection. And the idea is, since our shepherd was resurrected, since he led us into death and was resurrected, he still shepherds today, continues to lead out and continues to lead in, 
continues to watch over, continues to protect the sheep. You have a God who is alive. Everybody else, all other religions, they, they worship or they, they look to the, the prophet who has died. You have the one who gave the words of life, and those words of life were proven in him. And again, this is a process of what John's doing. He's presenting Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of Scripture. Later on, he'll present Jesus Christ as crucified. And then he'll present Jesus Christ as resurrected and ascended into heaven. Now you can say, okay, I understand all that. I understand the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. It's pretty obvious that Jesus was crucified. Even secular sources confirm that was raised from the dead. We see the proofs that exist in the Bible. And then he ascended to heaven. How do we really know? Well, we really know through the sending of the Holy Spirit and the changed life of the believer. And the idea is, is because of those things all, all bunched together, I see the proof of the scriptures and the reality of who Christ is. And again, you should be able to look at your life in the mirror that is in the Bible and see Jesus. You should be able to see Christ in your life. Now, I just mentioned that my wife, she went up to Vacaville, which is in the Sacramento area. Uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, in whom with my mother-in-law lives with, they went on vacation. And so my wife went up there to stay with my mother-in-law while they're on vacation. Now, the thing about my mother-in-law, be a good time for mother-in-law joke, I guess. But, you know, and you've heard it all, and, you know, there's, been conflict with certain people and their mother-in-law but the thing about it is any time that I kind of lose faith or start heading that direction I see the work that God has done in my mother-in-law my mother-in-law now she's not the most learned of Christians without a doubt she came to Christ very late just a couple of years ago but I remember my my wife matter of fact my wife and her parted fellowship if you will for a period of time because my wife would talk about the things of the Lord, and it just caused a conflict between them, again, in my mother-in-law's unsaved state. There was a reconciliation, and we went back there, I think it was about three summers ago, something like that. We went to church, we found a church, ended up going to a Baptist church, kind of a contemporary Baptist church, but the word was spoken there. And, and that night, she was sitting there. I was watching TV or something, and my wife and her were sitting at the table, and finally my mother-in-law says, what does it mean to be born again? And my wife turned around and said, Michael, come here. I told her, I'm on vacation. No, I did not say that. Um, and so I got up, and I went to John chapter 3, and I explained to her what it means to be born again. And I asked her, no, I didn't ask her. I, I just told her, this has to be a decision that you make. It has to be a desire of your heart. And she looked at me and she says, I want to be born again. And so I led her in the prayer. Now, again, you can do that. You can always wonder or whatever. But it's an amazing thing. We've seen an instant and continuous change in this woman's life. And I just see the work that God has done. And so what does that tell me? The biggest thing it tells me, and again, you should see that in your life as well, that God, that Christ exists and he continues to work in our lives today. And just as he said he was going to go and be seated at the right hand of the Father and send the Holy Spirit, he has done so. And so in the midst of everything that goes on in our society, in our lives today, this should give you a confidence of the reality of Christ today. 
And again, it's just one of those amazing, amazing things to me. The next example that we see of a shepherd, of Christ as a shepherd, is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, where he is called the chief shepherd. And it suggests Jesus as the leader of under-shepherds. Well, Jesus is not physically here today. When in actuality, we can so define things physically and spiritually. He is physically with us, but just for sake of, of recognizing the things that are going on, he's not physically, I can't point to you and say, here's Jesus, but he is with us. But nonetheless, because he's not physically here, he appoints others as under-shepherds. He takes the under-shepherds out of the flock and makes them to be an under-shepherd, but these are people who are responsible to represent Christ. Now, these would be, in context, the messengers that we see in the first two chapters of the book of Revelation. When he tells the angel to speak to the messenger of the church, the messenger of the church is in actuality the pastor of the church or the under-shepherd of that church. And so the context there is of the second coming of Christ and rewards to the faithful keeper of his sheep. If God loves his sheep to such a degree that he would give of his only begotten son and whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, don't you think if he would have such a love for them that he would care for them and he would appoint people who are properly prepared through the Holy Spirit to, I'm sorry, to, to keep them and to watch over them? And that's what God has done. And we've seen and we need to recognize those people who are faithful in the faith, those leaders that God has called and enabled who are, who are ministering to the sheep. Now we can so just classify those under those who are on the radio and those who are so popular. But what about the guy in North Dakota who's got 10 people but is faithfully ministering to them? You're never going to know everybody and know everybody by name, but we do need to lift them up in prayer and encourage people that way. These are under-shepherds that have been pointed by Jesus Christ. And then again in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The context here is, is the willingness to die for his sheep. Willingness to give all for them. So Jesus, again, is the good shepherd because no one else can give his life as Christ gave his life. He is the good shepherd. Why? Because he willfully lays his life down for them. And he is the good shepherd because he loves and he tends and he feeds his sheep. And when you have Christ who loves you, tends for you, and feeds you, you're healthy sheep. And healthy sheep beget other sheep and other sheep and other sheep as well. So in closing, it's going to be a long closing, but we have four aspects here of the good shepherd. Four things that define the word good and that define what an under-shepherd should be, what an under-shepherd should obtain to. And so, so many times I use that word leadership, and if you're a born-again believer, you have been called to be a leader. Somebody else looks up to you. Well, you can also plug in under-shepherd. God has given you some of his sheep to tend, to care for, to feed, and to love. And so we need to look at these things, not just me as the pastor, although they definitely apply to me in this particular context, but you have to make it real in the context of your life as well. Verses 12 and 13, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, 
One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So the good shepherd is diligent regardless of circumstances. And when I say diligent, just think faithful. A good shepherd is always faithful. A good under-shepherd is always faithful in what God has called him to do and who God has called him to minister. How do you know when somebody is faithful? When faithfulness, well, faithfulness is true when our nature tells us to be faithless. Faithfulness is only seen when there's the easier road to be faithless, to, to, to see the wolves coming and to take off and, and to run. Well, the faithful one is going to have that desire to leave and to run, but he's going to stand faithful. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus never had the desire to be unfaithful, to leave and to run, but there was that little test in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there be any other way, allow this cup to be taken from me. And since there wasn't, he gladly drank from that cup of judgment so that we would not have to. And so the good shepherd, the good shepherd understands that there is a way out for him, but it's going to be to the detriment of the sheep. Jesus, when he was, was tempted in Matthew chapter 4 by the devil, the devil was giving him a way out, if you will. He was even gave him the, the he, he had, a, was going to give him his authority over all of the world if he would bow down and worship him problem is that would be temporary not according to god's plan and we would all perish and so what was jesus's priority in all of these things it was always the sheep it was always others we see that description where 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 paul told us let this mind be in you that was also in christ jesus in philippians chapter 2 and he showed how he humbled himself set aside his privilege for the purpose of the life and the care of the sheep so in our day for the good shepherd it's faithfulness in the face of well, just all everything that pulls us away. Again, think of Jesus. It was faithfulness in the face of being spit upon, being beaten, mocked, a crown of thorns, nails, and the cross. He continued to stay the course. He continued to be faithful. Why? Because his death was essential for the lives of the sheep. Your death is going to be essential for the lives of the sheep that God has given you. Not your physical death, but to die to yourself. Now again, if you're a parent, you understand that to a degree. When you have children, you understand the responsibility, and though I'd rather be out playing golf or fishing or whatever it might be, I gotta get up, I gotta go to work, because I have to provide for the kids that God has given me. So you, you die to elements of yourself. And so as the, a good shepherd, when we recognize these things, that God has given us some of his sheep whom he dearly loves, that we have responsibility to be found faithful in the ministry to them. And as we're faithful in the ministry to them, we see these sheep grow and we see them thrive. And at some point, we're, we see that they're prepared to replace us because we'll go on to be with the great shepherd and then they'll be there tending to other sheep. And we see how this process has been going on throughout all of the ages. We see the wolves looking upon the good shepherd, even as he was upon the cross in Luke 23, verse 35. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. But Jesus stayed upon the cross, 
because he was faithful. He could have come down off the cross, but if he comes down upon the cross, then you go on your cross for all of eternity. Philippians 2, 8 through 9, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. God has highly exalted him. Why? Because he was faithful in the ministry that he gave him. Who is the hireling? The hireling is simply seen through his lack of being faithful, his lack of endurance and what he's been called to do. The hard time comes. When the wolf comes, he flees. Anyone can stand at a pulpit and tell you what a good shepherd he is. Anybody can tell you that they're a leader. Anybody can tell you that they're spiritually mature. But what happens the day when the wolf comes? And the wolf is always going to come. There's, he's going to come in some form. I mean, you can see it within churches, uh, lack of funds, church split, false teachings entering in, personal attack, whatever it might be. Because, see, the leader is always going to be a target, always going to be some sort of target. You'll be a target of your kids in your home. You'll be a target at the pulpit at the church, wherever it might be. But again, the hireling, when things start to get hard, when things start to get tough, the hireling leaves. I was in a meeting with a pastor, and a bunch of pastors, and there was one guy who was in there, and he, uh, he, he, he went on for maybe about a half hour telling us how hard it was. He was telling a bunch of pastors how hard being a pastor of a church was. But you can tell he was kind of overwhelmed by it. And he was saying that he was praying about folding the church and, and leaving and, and basically quitting. And the question was presented to him, how do you know? How do you know that God doesn't want to bless you tomorrow? How do you know that God's not going to set your church afire? And I mean that in a good way, in a passionate way, not fire and burn, you know, send it to, send it to the other place. But how do you know he's not going to set the Holy Spirit upon you and just see an amazing thing done? And to which he answered, I don't know if I would care if he did. And you just see, now I don't think this person, I, I, I know him a little bit, I don't think he went into the ministry as a hireling, but I think that's kind of what it ended up. I've had people say some ridiculous things. One person was telling me about his time up in Oregon that he got arrested, I don't remember for what, it wasn't a major crime, and um, his jobs weren't working out, and he was currently without a job, and he looked at me and he says, maybe I'll try the ministry. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened with me. Can't make it anywhere else. Uh, and, and again, you just have this mindset and this attitude, and they just don't understand that their lives are going to be required of them. Jesus' life was required of him. Every leadership and element of their life is going to be required of them. So what happens when the wolves come? Well, it's then that you'll see who is a good shepherd or good under-shepherd and who is just simply a hireling. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. The Apostle Peter gives a great example of leadership within the church. Now, he's definitely talking about the office of pastor in context. But again, this applies to all who are called to any, excuse me, any part of leadership. And we've all been called to leadership. Now, first of all, a, a leader has got to have an element of maturity to him. 
We have to have an element of maturity in the scriptures, an element of maturity in Christ, because we have to have something to give to the people. And so the first thing Peter says, the elders who are among you. Now again, he says they're among him. Remember, Jesus is the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds. All leaders are under shepherd. Where does the under shepherd come from? He comes from within the flock. So he's raised up from the flock. So Peter understands this. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder, so that means that Peter has come from among them, and we know the gospel, and that he did, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And so Peter speaks of these amazing experiences that he had with Christ. Now, Peter had experiences that we're not going to have, and more than likely he's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration, where he saw Jesus Christ in his spiritual body. But nonetheless, all of us need to have encounters, personal encounters with Christ, because again, that's what's going to add to this element of maturity that we will be the leaders that God has called us to be. And then in verse 2, we are to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. Jesus set the standard as the good shepherd. We are to follow that example in Christ, just as I've just previously said, give of our lives for the purpose of the sheep. Serving as overseers, watching over them, caring for their needs. Not by compulsion, not as a hireling, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over them, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so what this tells me is, because God... God is all about the people. We're your kids right now. If you have a kid, a child in children's ministry, he's learning about the age of the earth. And the Bible says the earth is about 6,000 years old. Why is that important? Well, partly it's important because God is about people. And so since God is about people, he has created the earth. Now, he didn't create the earth in order for it to sit empty for billions and billions of years. Why would God do that? God wouldn't do that. God is all about the people. Rewards are given in how you interact with God's people. He is taking some of, maybe it's just one, maybe it's a bunch, but he has taken a portion of his sheep and he has given them to you for you to be that under-shepherd over them and your spiritual rewards aren't going to come in how much of the Bible that you've read or that you know. They're not going to come about based upon how much you pray, just for prayer's sake. Not how much you go to church or anything along those lines. Your spiritual rewards are going to come about in how you minister to the sheep that God has given you. And I have to understand the magnitude of that. As a husband, it's going to be how I treated my wife, how I ministered to my wife. If you're a wife, it's how you ministered to your husband. Again, children, maybe it's a ministry here at church. Whatever it might be, are you remaining faithful? Are you remaining faithful? Because in this particular area, your conduct will confirm your character. Conduct will confirm your character. The conduct that you have displayed in being an overseer over God's people, that is the test of your character, or maybe I should say the revelation of your character and it's that, your character towards God's people, that God is going to reward you. Back in John chapter 10, 
verses 14 and 15, Jesus reiterates, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. That's why he could have gone in, spoken the sheep's name, and they follow him because they know him. You know Christ because he has introduced himself to you as, his, as your good shepherd. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and laid down my life for the sheep. And so the good shepherd knows his sheep and cares for them. He's hardworking. And I'm not going to turn there, but we see the elements of care that the shepherd gives to the sheep in Psalm 23. Why would the Lord put up with us? Look at yourself individual. You know, and I want you to look at yourself and not anybody else, because you know that you're not much of a prize. Maybe we can kind of put on a facade, but personally, we're not that big of a prize. I mean, just think of your children. If you could put all emotion aside and then have your children described to you, would you still have children? If you took out the element of love, again, I was looking at my daughter, Jamie, and I was looking at Malachi. Malachi, again, about a year and a couple of weeks, very demanding. When she wants to eat, you got to feed her. When she wants her diaper changed, you got to change the diaper. But I'm looking at mother and baby, and I just see the intimacy that is involved there because God has placed this love in our hearts for the sheep that he has given us. And so it's all got to be based upon the love that we have. A proper under-shepherd is going to work hard for his sheep because he has a great love for them. Verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus, this good shepherd, he is the shepherd of all of mankind. Isaiah 52.10, The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now remember, the first fold that we saw in this chapter, it's described as Israel. The fold that we are looking at now is not Israel, so it's the fold of the Gentiles. Because he says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. How do we know that he's speaking of Gentiles? Well, again, in verse 16, he says, I have, present tense. These are people that he has, even of that time. And we saw the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, we're told in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, that the Lord spoke to Paul and says, I have many in this city. What is the city that he was in? It was Corinth. It was a city that was predominantly Gentiles. But also in the last part of verse 16, the other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's also talking of future times. So I have these sheep, but they will hear my voice. Well, they weren't hearing his voice at this time because he's in the middle of Israel. He's in the middle of Jerusalem, <clears throat> the middle of the temple area. And so when he says they must hear, this is a necessary part of Jesus' ministry. He must bring them out. How is he going to bring them out? Well, he works the same way. He needs to enter into the fold. The sheep need to hear his voice, and they will follow him, and he will lead them out. But how is he going to work that? Well, he's going to the cross, so he uses your voice. He uses our voice as we go out into the fold, as we go out into the world. There's a plethora of sheep out there, and they're all mixed up and intermingled. 
but Christ has sheep there, but it's necessary that we go out there and we speak his words, that's Christ speaking through us, those sheep will hear his words and they will be led out of there. That's what happened to you. Somewhere along the line, somebody spoke the words of Christ, or I should say, Christ spoke his words through a willing mouth, spoke to your heart, and now you follow Christ. You've heard those words, and you follow him. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, we are told there is now neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ. Since this was something that Jesus knew must happen, when does he do it? He started doing it in Acts chapter 2, and he continues to do it September 8, 2016. It's why the Great Commission is in the form of an order. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. His voice is us preaching the gospel through the Holy Spirit. When he says, go therefore, he's telling us to go into the fold that is the Gentile fold. Verses 17 through 21, we have the voice of the wolves, or maybe I should say the thieves. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Then you have the thieves. Therefore, there was division again amongst the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So it's kind of interesting. Now, Jesus is still in the fold that is Israel. He's just spoken, in essence, you look at verse 17 and 18, that's the basis of the gospel. What has he just done? Well, we see just the proof of what he's been speaking of. He's spoken those words, and there are those who didn't hear him. Well, those aren't his sheep, but there are those who do hear him. Again, others said, these are not the words of one who is a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's something that is ministering to those people. Now, keep in mind, Nicodemus, he was a a Pharisee. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a Pharisee. Both of these men, we'll see later on in our study of the Gospel of John, they got saved. And there were others as well. So even in the midst of the Pharisees, there are those who don't hear his voice because they're not his sheep. But there are an element there that are his sheep. Again, we look at that, we relate it to our lives. You should be able to see that directly. I heard the voice of the Lord. And I understood that he was my shepherd. I follow Christ today. That being the case, I in turn must be used as Christ's voice out in that sheepfold so that others would hear his voice and that they would leave that world and come into that right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we see how you have made this plan, how you have executed this plan, and how you continue this plan. And because of that, Father, we just rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice, Lord, that you know our name and that you called our name, and that, Father, we reacted to that call. Even as we see Mary Magdalene in in the Gospels when she went into that tomb and it was empty, saw a man who she thought was a gardener, spoke to him and didn't realize it was the Lord, not until he called her name. When he called her name, she realized that 
he was her teacher. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given your voice to the masses in order to speak. That, Father, your word that saved us will continue to guide us, continue to care for us, and continue to prepare us for that day that we go to be in your presence. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you. Lord, I just lift up all that you have given us, and may, Father, we see you in every detail and in every aspect of our life that it would go forth continuing to strengthen our faith. And once more, Lord, I just pray for our sister Lorraine, who is going to be having surgery tomorrow, that you would bless her, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that you would use her to heal her. I pray for her parents, Lord. I pray for her children, that you would be their peace and their comfort, that you would do a great work in her life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? We have a couple of weeks for the men's retreat. We are going to start doing room assignments and all and getting prepared for that. So if anybody's going to go to the men's retreat, it's essential that you get signed up in the next week or so. Uh, Small groups, if you want to be part of a small group this week, uh, they're going to be starting next um, Tuesday night. Um, Keep in mind that if you're a woman and you're part of the women's small groups, the Wednesday morning small group and the Tuesday night small group for just next Tuesday are meeting that evening. It's just to get together in preparation for that. The men's small group are meeting that same evening as well. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.